Thanks, man. Thank y'all for uh, having me. Uh, I have never been introduced as a mama before, and so <laughs> this is new. Uh, this is good. Uh, I do get to serve the Redeemer Network. I love the Redeemer Network. We, uh, we say we do three things. We train, we fund, and we support. And so we train people to go plant and replant, revitalize healthy churches, and then we fund our new church plants, and then we support our pastors um, and their wives all along the way. Uh, because we believe that healthy pastors lead healthy churches, and healthy churches multiply new healthy churches. But I'm not here to talk about Redeemer Network, although I probably will again uh, later at some point. Uh, I'm, I'm here because you guys are going through a series in the Gospel of John. Uh, we're going to talk about John 10 today. The Gospel of John, uh, it, it's, it really is, I know... I don't know how you guys feel about having favorite books of the Bible, uh, but, but John really is probably my favorite book of the Bible. Uh, I, I love it because it's written with very clear intentionality. Uh, John writes this letter to persuade. He's trying to be persuasive. He, he writes it to people uh, who, who have a basic understanding, maybe some so a framework for who Jesus is. They have heard about the stories, they, um, but they haven't bought into the central claims yet. They haven't bought in that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior that was coming, or that he's the Son of God. And so he's intentionally and unapologetically writing to try to persuade. And today, uh, in chapter 10, we had a fairly well-known passage that I'd like to frame up like this. Um, imagine with me, uh, imagine with me that, that we're all, we're in our mid-60s. Uh, we've served on the Irving School Board for 40 years. Uh, this has been a meaningful thing for us. We've, we love being on the school board, but we know it's retirement time and it's time to hand off the reins to somebody else. And you get invited to come to City Hall and talk to the City Council, which I, I assume there's an Irving City Council. Um, there is, correct? Yeah. Uh, you get invited to come and talk, and it's, it, you know, it's the last time you're going to be there, um, and you're ready to, to, to talk about what it is, what it looks like to hand off the educational system and see it carried forward. And when you get in front of the, the city council, you are not going on that night to talk about trivial stuff from the 70s. You're not going to talk about random debates from the 80s or the 90s. You're going to stand before them, and you're going to say, this is what we've done. This has been our hope and our heart and our vision, and this is what you need to do to carry it forward. You are going to get right to the heart of the matter. You're not going to waste words on this last public address. Um, any Michael Jordan fans um, in the room? Am I dating myself? Uh, only one? Okay, I, I love trivial debates. Uh, it's not holy or mature, but like when somebody's like, I really think LeBron's the GOAT, it's like, okay, come on, man. Well, let's chat about this for a second, you know? Uh, Jordan had this really, uh, and he, he is uh, the GOAT, just, just to, be, to be clear. Uh, he had this really unfortunate Hall of Fame speech. Um, if you've ever watched it, you'll know Or he gets up and he thanks people, but he made it very clear to us that he thinks that he is the GOAT. Because in that moment, his last sort of public, this was my career address, what's most important to him was that we knew what he thought about himself. Jesus is doing something similar, but in a far more holy way than Jordan did it. He is getting to the heart of the matter of why he came. And he's using this vivid imagery, this story in chapter 10 of sheep and shepherds and robbers and thieves and wolves and sheep folds, which I'll explain what that is um, in a minute. And he uses this 
incredibly vivid imagery, and sandwiched in the middle of it are these two I am statements where he carries on. Jesus is known for these I am, I am the way, I am the bread of life. Before Moses was, I am. These I am statements. He gives two more. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. And he's using this vivid and visual imagery to be persuasive. To persuade us to believe, to get to this central heart of what he came for. And in this text, he makes an astounding claim. Jesus, in this passage, makes an astounding, honestly, earth-shattering Christianity only offers its claim. And we're going to look at that claim. We're going to get there. But the way that we're going to get there uh, and the way that we're going to look at this text is under three headings. The sheep, the shepherd, and the door. Sound good? Say yes, because we're doing it anyway. All right. So the sheep. Let's talk sheep first. Look at verse 1. So uh, Jesus sets it up. He, he gives this sort of story, this imagery, this figure of speech. They don't understand it. He comes back and explains it. But let's look at verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. All right, here's the scene. The scene is Jesus is using this imagery, and we have sheep um, that are sitting inside of a sheepfold. The sheepfold is a corral. It had a, think, think a, a big, I mean, probably the size-ish, but stone wall going all the way around, one door in, one door out. And this is where the sheep were kept safe overnight, right? So they're in this room. You can't just get into it. There's one way in. Um, and then the shepherd would come in in the morning, and he would call out the sheep, and the sheep would lead them out, and he'd take them to where they could get water, food, um, graze. But all along the way, there are wolves, there's danger, there's other predators out there, and they're standing there eating, they're drinking, and the shepherd is there to guard and protect and keep them safe. So in a real-world scenario, not, you know, like spiritual imagery, but real-world sheep, they are dependent, they are vulnerable, and they're undesirable. Let me explain. Dependent. They are dependent on shepherds. Like, they they do not know where the water or the food is. They need a shepherd to guide them. They need someone to guide them there. Two, they're vulnerable. Thieves, robbers, wolves. They're, they're, they're in, they can't defend themselves. And then undesirable, right? They're, they're no one's favorite pet. No one ancient world, modern day is going, um, hey, mom, dad, I know I'm six. Can I get a pet sheep? No one said, hey, if, if you believe in incarnation or reincarnation, it's you know, when I come back in the next life, uh, I want to be a sheep. So what is Jesus doing here? Here's what Jesus is doing. He's drawing on biblical imagery from beginning to end. Sheep are the most used animal in the Bible. Uh, if, if you include flocks, so flocks of sheep, over 400 times sheep are, ref uh, are referenced in the scriptures. Over 400 times. Shepherds used over a hundred times. Most of the references are this, to Israel. Old Testament, Israel. Here's a couple of examples. Oh God, why do you cast us off forever? This is Psalm 74. Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Psalm 79, but we your people, the sheep of your pasture. John, Jeremiah 13, Israel is referred to as the Lord's flock. That sheep is a consistent 
reference and imagery for Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament, and they were dependent. They needed shepherds to guide them. They needed shepherds to lead them toward God. They were vulnerable. They were vulnerable to other nations physically to attack. I mean, they, um, uh, they were at one point just Babylon came in and on a whim just ripped up their city, destroyed the temple, took them into exile. They were vulnerable to other nations and worshiping their gods. The story of Israel from beginning to end is a story of a people who took their heart and handed it off to other gods. And God would call them, bring them back, and they'd do it again. God would bring them back, they'd do it again. And they're undesirable. There's nothing about Israel, nothing about Israel that God would have looked at and just said, oh, I need them. Like Israel, I, I know there's a lot of nations out there. I need you. No, no one would have looked at Israel back in the day and said to MJ, hey, man, you want them on your team. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And Jesus is drawing on this Old Testament imagery of Israel being the sheep, the flock of God. But he does something, he expands it. He expands it beyond. If you jump down to verse 16, if you have a Bible or a uh, device out, we're in John 10 to be clear. In verse 16, I have, this is Jesus. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Um, the sheep that are not of this fold, this is a reference to Gentiles. So, so just think non-Israel. Anybody and everybody who is not the nation of Israel. And he says, so there will be one flock and one shepherd made up of Jews and Gentiles, men, women, and children from every nation under the sun coming together as one flock with one shepherd, which as a bit of a sidebar is why racism and classism inside the church is just so abhorrible. There is no higher race inside the church. African or Korean, I know the history and I know the current, that there's no higher race inside the church white, Hispanic, there's no higher race inside the church. Indian, Pakistani, no higher race inside the church. There is one flock with one shepherd made of men, women, and children from every nation under the sun. And rich, poor, rich don't get elevated. It's why James, um, later in the New Testament, is so clear about how to not treat the rich and the poor. Because here's what Jesus does. He elevates the humbled and humbles the elevated. This is what Jesus does. There is one flock with one shepherd. And here's what Jesus is saying to you. You're a sheep. You're a sheep. And if you think about being a sheep, it's actually a fairly insecure place to be. You are dependent and you are vulnerable. And here's what we do. We live our lives trying to not feel vulnerable and dependent. We live our lives trying to um, be at relationships, be at our job, be at money. You, you fill in your blank, and we do all we can to not feel dependent and vulnerable. How's that working for you? It's not. Listen, you, you can, um, like, I... 
you, you, I, I, don't, I don't know who the wealthiest person in this room is, but I'm going uh, to, let's just imagine, I mean, we've got billions sitting in the bank. If you do, I'm fundraising for Redeemer Network and would like to talk to you. Um, it does not matter how much money you have in the bank. When you get the call and it's your turn for cancer, you are dependent and you are vulnerable, and you find that out real fast. You can't buy your way out of cancer. I love my wife. Um, we have four kids. If, if my marriage, which by God's grace is good, if my marriage and my family is the place with which, like when chaos is happening, if I don't need to turn to Jesus because I can turn my family, one drunk driver can bring that to an end. You are dependent, you are vulnerable, I am dependent, I am vulnerable. We all are. We are sheep. And we are living our life often chasing whatever it takes to, to feel like we are not insecure but secure, not vulnerable but safe. It's an illusion. It's an illusion. You are a shepherd. Just like sheep in the real world, Israel in the Old Testament, you are dependent and you are vulnerable. And no amount of money and no quality of your marriage can change that. And it's why you need a shepherd. Point two. Point two. The shepherd. Here's how shepherds are described. Look, at, look back at verse two. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his sheep by name and leads them out. Now listen to verse four and five. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, jump down to verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and will snatches them and scatters them. Okay, what does a shepherd do, right? Not spiritualizing anything, just real life. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd uh, leads and protects the sheep, okay? So again, the, the sheep are in the sheepfold. They need to get up, they need to get water, need to go graze. They don't know where the food is, where the water is. They need someone to lead them there. And so the shepherd leads the sheep to the place where they're eating and they're drinking. The shepherd protects, protects from wolves along the way. The hired hand gets out of the way. The good shepherd gets in the middle, right? So the shepherd is leading the sheep to go eat and to drink. They see a wolf coming, the hired hand, who's just the hourly worker there going like, hey, listen, these are not my sheep. I'm not dying for them. Gets out of the way, lets the wolf in. The good shepherd stands in the gap, gets between the sheep and the wolf and says, not on my watch. Not on my watch. Second, shepherds are close to the sheep. They have a voice that the sheep recognize. The stranger, they don't, they don't know that voice, and the sheep don't, they're not just jumping. But the good shepherd, the shepherd that we know, we, we know the voice, we follow that voice. And then third, the good shepherds are willing to die. So it's not just I'm willing to stand between the wolf and the sheep, it's I'm willing to let that wolf get me so it doesn't get them. This is what good shepherds do. We're willing to lay our life down or they are willing to lay their life down for their sheep. This is what good shepherds do. They lead, protect, they're close, they're 
willing to die. And Jesus steps into this imagery and uses another, the first in this text of his I am statements. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. So what is Jesus doing? First, he's contrasting himself with, with shepherds from Israel. Remember, he's drawing on this biblical imagery. And Jeremiah 50 is a, not, I mean, it's just one of a, it felt like a thousand places I could have picked this from, but my people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. So Israel, shepherds that were leading the people, and they consistently would lead them away from God, offering Israel to other gods because that was advantageous for them. And Jesus is saying, I'm not like them. I'm not like the shepherds of old. I'm, I'm the one who leads you away from God for my good. I lead you to God, and I'm willing to die for you. This is what Jesus is jumping in here and saying. And here's a second thing he's doing. The word good... It's a theological term in the Bible. It's like we say good all the time, right? Uh, man, those tacos were good. Right? That sermon was good. Not today, but on most Sundays, that's what you say after. Amen? No? Okay. No? <laughs> that game was good. good. right? But good in the Bible, it's a theological term. And so remember back in John 1, if you started there, um, John is drawing on Genesis 1 to really sort of begin his explanation of who Jesus is. And I think the same thing is happening here. If we go back to the beginning of the Bible, if we go back to John, here's how the word good is used. God looked at his creation and said it was good. God looked at man and said it was good, good. It was very good. God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for the man to be alone. Satan said, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Eve saw the tree was good, and she ate. Joseph, at the end of the story, the story of Joseph is he was sold into slavery by, by his brothers. Um, long story, um, saves his family, and here's what he says. You meant for evil, God meant it for good. So here, here's good versus not good in the Bible. Good, good it leads to order and harmony and rhythm and redemption and life. Not good leads to chaos and destruction and death and anxiety. And what Jesus is saying is that I am the good shepherd. I am the shepherd who guides you to a place of order and harmony and rhythm and life to flourishing. And life outside of my shepherding is life of disorder, chaos, disharmony, destruction, death. I am the shepherd who leads to life, flourishing, redemption. But the problem is this. Wh whose default is it to say, man, you know what I need? I need someone to lead me to harmony and rhythm in life. That is not what you say. You say, I've got this. I got it. I got, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to work hard enough. I'm going to do the right things. And if I do the right things and I work hard enough, I will secure the life that I want. Because again, nobody wants to say, you know what I am? I'm a sheep. All right? Like, um, who's played the game of like, you know, if you were an animal, what animal would you be? Right? Who's ever played that game and said, man, I think if, if you're describing me, sheep. No one's ever said that. You say, I'm, I'm a tiger, I'm a lion, I'm a, 
bear. I'm a, I don't know, but not I'm a sheep. No one's ever said that, I'm guessing. I'm, going, I'm, I'm guessing over the room on that one. Because again, nobody wants to think of themselves as dependent, vulnerable, deceivable. Right? I mean, if we just think about sort of the cultural air that we breathe, what do we hear? We hear, man, she is just the strongest woman I've ever met. Her strength, his fortitude. No one ever celebrates, man, I just, I just really appreciate how dependent she is. Here's what's happening. Jesus is saying, you're my sheep, and when that's your default, you're saying, don't call me that. You're saying, don't call me that, Jesus. Don't call me that. I don't need your, I am not weak. I am not vulnerable. Maybe others, not me. I've got this. Now, when your default is, I've got this, and then you're looking to Jesus, here's what you want. You want a servant, not a shepherd. You look at your own life and go, hey, here's the life I want. I see the good life, and I want Jesus to serve my ends to get me there. So I want, I want help getting where I want to go. And so I look at Jesus to be my servant, not my shepherd, leading me where he wants me to go. You want a servant, not a shepherd. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not the hired hand. Stop treating me like I am. I'm the good shepherd. There's one more piece of Jesus being the good shepherd, and this is where we get to the heart of the claim that he makes, the central just thrust of what he's here to say in this imagery. Look at verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Um, if you've been in church for a while, I, I became a Christian when I was 22, uh, so I didn't grow up in the church if you did, if you've been in, in the church for a while, this is probably a line where you just sort of gloss over. You just read right through it and keep rolling on to the next verse. But if you're a first century Jew in the audience, you are not glossing over this right here. This is an earth-shattering, stop-you-in-your-tracks kind of statement. Because the word no, it, it implies a relationship. Like, I... Um, I uh, often used illustration, right? I know a lot about, uh, let's do, um, who's, a, who's a ranger? Like, a, I don't want to do this. I'm, I'm an Astros fan, so just name one ranger. Bruce Bochy. I'm going to go with Bruce. He's the manager, right? I'm going to go with Bruce Bochy. I can't do anybody else. I'm doing him. Um, I, I, know, I know a lot about him. Uh, not, that's not true. I know they won the World Series. Um, there's a lot of people I know a lot about, but I know my wife. Some of you know my wife's name is Amanda. You've met Amanda. But you don't know my wife like I know my wife. There's an implied relationship in what he's saying. And this is an earth-shattering statement, one that really only Christianity has to offer. Here's what he's saying. You, you can have a relationship with God. The kind of way that uh, my people know me and I know them the same way just as my father knows me and I know him. There's an implied relationship where Jesus is saying, you have been invited into a relationship with God. The way that we all long to be known, like at, at our core, all of us, here's what we want. We want to be known, we want to be loved, we want to be cared for. And Jesus is saying, it's here. It's available. It's on the table 
It's right here for you. At the core of the story, the heart is this. You've been invited in to a relation, like an animating relationship with God, where you can know me as I know the Father. The Father can know you as he knows me. It's one of the things I love about taking communion week in and week out when you gather together because on that table, the Father is looking at you and saying, hey, listen, I know. I know all about last week and last year. I know what those college years you're ashamed of. And I want you at my table. I love you. You are my people. I want you. At the heart of the story is that you've been invited into a relationship with God, but how do you get into that relationship? Point three, the door. Look at verse seven. Jesus, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. Second, I am statement. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and go and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came they may have life and have it abundantly. So the door he's referencing here is the door to the sheepfold, where you get in, one door in, one door out. This is, again, where the sheep are kept safe overnight. And here's what doors do. Doors are what you pass through to go from outside to inside. Doors also conceal what's on the inside, and they keep people out. And when he's contrasting himself as the door to thieves and robbers, this is what they are. That They were other saviors, false, uh, other messiahs, people who came along, and at this time there were plenty of them, who came before him, who came before him and said, hey, listen, I'm the way. I'm the roadmap. You follow me, and I will lead you to the life that you want. I am the Savior, the the Messiah, the Christ. I'm the one that you have been waiting for. And here's what they did. They did nothing but exploit people. Much like modern cults do today, they would exploit people for their own end, which is why it says to kill, still, and destroy. That what false saviors do is they come in and they promise you the life that you want and then they do nothing. They erode your life and lead to chaos and destruction. Now, probably none of us in this room are uh, uh, um, vulnerable to somebody showing up at Irving and saying, hey, listen, I am the Messiah. I know you thought it was Jesus, but I'm the one. Maybe you are. Probably not. But here's what you are vulnerable to. You are vulnerable to other lowercase s, lowercase s saviors. Things that you look to and go, if I have this, if I just have, like this is what I need. Like for my, my soul to feel safe, I need this. This is the savior that actually will give me the life that I want. Let me give you one example. Um, your parents' affirmation. Now I, I know there's a variety of age ranges in the room, but here, here's what I know. I know we live in a broken world and all of us have some mommy and daddy issues. My kids do too, by the way. All of us have it. For me, um, I'll tell you what I wanted. What I wanted most was just for my dad to say I'm proud of you and mean it. I knew my dad was pretty embarrassed of me. Um, And I I wanted my dad to just say, man, I'm proud of you. My father-in-law said it one time after I graduated from seminary, and I crumbled at a table full of 11 people. 
But if your parents' affirmation is a thing that you have to have, here's what's going to happen. You'll sacrifice your marriage to get it. You'll cling to your mom or your dad. You won't be able to cleave, leave and cleave with your spouse. You'll, I mean, if your dad was successful, your mom was successful, and you see that as the way I'm going to get their affirmation, you will work 90 hours a week forsaking your wife and your kids, your friends, your everybody to try to get it, to just hear them say, I'm proud of what you've done. Listen, anything that is a pseudo-savior that comes along, it says, this is what you need to get the life you want, and all it does is lead to destruction. That's the only place that it leads. It might not be that. For a lot of us, it might be our kids, right? Our kids' happiness. All right, some of us in this room, we, we can't say no to our kids because our kids' affection for us is the thing that makes us feel safe and secure, and when you can't say no to your kids, you know what that does? It leads to destruction, not just in you, but in them. If that was too close to home, you can call Israel afterwards. <laughs> and Jesus is showing up and saying, I am the true door to the true sheepfold, the sheepfold where eternal safety and security lasts, where you will have the life that you want. I, um, um, Jesus, he says, I, uh, in, in this place, through this door, that's me, into the sheepfold where you have eternal life, life abundantly. He uses the word for life. It's this word zoe. It means the good life. Like the life that you want. The transcendent, abundant, beautiful life. And Jesus is saying that through the door that is me, here's what I have to offer. Eternal zoe. Eternal Zoe, eternal life, like the flourishing, good, and beautiful, harmonious life that you want. I am the door that you pass through to get that life. And how's that door opened? Um, well, Jesus used multiple Greek words for life in this text, and he didn't use the same one every time. So when he says the abundant life, it came that they might have life, that's Zoe. But when he, when he said, I lay down my life for the sheep, that's, that's a different word. He used a different word, a word that means my soul. It means saying, I've poured out my soul for you. How? Here's what happened on the cross. Not long after the scene, as Jesus is teaching and telling this, he, he's going to climb up on a tree, and on that tree, he's going to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, Jesus became vulnerable. He became killable. And so how can Jesus stand there and look at you and look at me and look at this crowd and say, I am the door, I am the shepherd? Because on the cross, he became the sheep. He became the lamb led to slaughter. And when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He got silence so that you would never. He got silent so you could hear the voice of the Father saying, come on in. The door is wide open, come on in. Come on in, walk through it. There's a sheepfold waiting for you. Come on in. And when you come through that door, here's what you have. You have a shepherd leading and protecting you. You have a shepherd you leading you to the life 
that you want and the degree to which you trust him, you will follow him. And when he is your shepherd, let me tell you what I mean by the life that you want. You, you, you can look at the water that is your bank account and go, hey, listen, no matter how big that lake or how small that stream, that is not the place where my soul is satisfied. You can look at the pasture of your family and go, I love my family and I want to pour my life out for my family, but that is not the pasture where my soul feeds itself. It becomes him. It becomes on him. And then you have a shepherd protecting you. Listen, I, one of the ways that Jesus protects you as your shepherd is through unanswered prayers. Here's what often happens. We're praying, we're asking, God, do this, God, do this, and it doesn't happen, and then you say, you know what, I'm out. I gave you the chance, God. Here it is, and you didn't come through on me. How do you know that? Could you imagine your life if God gave you everything you prayed for? Your life and mine would be a disaster. One of the ways he protects you is through unanswered prayers. He also protects you through pastors. One of the jobs of a pastor is to protect you from wolves, to guard you from the dangers around you in the world, and to protect you from yourself, from your own idols, the things you drink from that lead to death and destruction, not flourishing and harmony and rhythm and beauty. Part of the job of a pastor is to protect you in the way that Jesus is shepherding you is through the pastor or pastors, and Jesus is shepherding you, as he does, in such a way that you can hear his voice, and you can know his voice, and you can follow his voice. One of the reasons that, that corporate worship on Sunday is so incredibly important and should be prioritized as a, hey, I'm not missing this, is because here's one of the aims of corporate worship. When I say corporate, I mean what we're doing right now gathering together, walking through a service, singing, hearing the gospel preach, coming to the table. Here's one of the reasons why it should be prioritized as a, like, I mean, not going to, it's because here's what worship does. It makes Jesus' voice the loudest voice in your life. That's one of its aims. And then community throughout the week, like living life together as a church and what that does, makes Jesus' voice echo throughout the week. Like you, want, you want to hear the voice and live where you're able to hear, listen to the voice of Jesus as he leads you and shepherds you? Prioritize gathering on Sunday morning. Live your life in community with other brothers and sisters so you hear his voice and it echoes throughout the week. Of course, that's not all, but start there. Start right there. And this is why I told you I, would, I have four minutes left on the clock so I can talk about Redeemer Network. This is why we plant new churches. This is, why we do, this is why we want to see new churches started in city after city, town after town, suburb after suburb. Among high income, low income, middle income communities. Among predominantly Hispanic, white, African American, Korean. Why? Because there are men, there are women, and there are children who know a lot about Jesus but don't know the sound of his voice. And we want the voice of Jesus to be heard by multitudes.
want to hear so they can hear his voice and hear the invitation to come walk through the door that is him and find the life that they want bound up in what Jesus has to offer. That is why we do it. And that is why, it's why Redeemer Irving exists. Because listen, 25 years from now, 25 years from now, there's going to be some arrogant 24-year-old sitting around a room talking theology, but I don't know, and somebody's going to say, hey, tell me your story. Maybe they'll be humble. I don't know. I wasn't at 25. I'm not sure I am at 45, but I sure wasn't at 25. And they're going to say, tell me your story. How'd you become a Christian? And they're going to go, well, let me tell you something. It all started back about 25, 30 years ago when my grandmother and my grandfather, they were, man, I mean, just had a rough marriage. They were angry. He yelled a lot. She, and then one day the coworker said, hey, we got this new church that's been started. It's called Redeemer Irving. And they didn't want to go, but the, they kept getting pestered to show up. And so they finally did. And they walked in. And they met Jesus. And they walked. And then they came home, and it was not a great home still, but over the years, they looked at my mom and my dad, and they just changed the way they lived their life. And the home went from angry to less angry to eventually peaceful. And then my parents, I was born, and I just don't remember a day that I didn't know and love Jesus. Why? Because through this community here in Irving, they were invited to walk through the door. They were invited to walk through, and they found that the life they wanted wasn't really the life they wanted, that there was a greater life out there. And it was found in him. And generations were rerouted. Jesus said, I am the shepherd and I am the door. Walk through that door and you get me leading you to the life that I want for you and it's far greater than the life that you've ever wanted for yourself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for John 10. What a beautiful, beautiful passage. Thank you for the imagery, the persuasive and compelling imagery to help us see who Jesus is. To see that there is a life far greater out there than the one we ever wanted for ourselves. And for those here who are on the fence, who are curious or who are not on the fence but have been burned by the church in the past, I pray you'd meet them where they are where they've experienced the shepherding that leads them astray. I pray you meet them where they are and they would know. But that is not a reflection of your son, the true and good shepherd. And I pray they may be willing to walk through the door. to taste the life that you have to offer. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.